So now please uh, join me in the um, reading, which comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After the Lord appointed 72 others to send them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That is the reading. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to those joining online and those that will watch this later. Hello to you as well. I uh, should have mentioned in our prayer time, I forgot to mention, there's a men's Emmaus uh, walk this weekend, and so we want to pray, of course, for all those uh, people that are on that trip and those that are serving as well. And so uh, for all those that may watch this later, I hope it's a great weekend for you. I do uh, want to mention to you that today is a special Sunday of the year. It's called Stewardship Sunday. Now, of course, Stewardship Sunday is one of those ones that you go, well, that's an interesting name, you know, what's going to happen? And many of you that have been in the church, you know what's going to happen. But hopefully on your way in or even mailed to you this week, there was a couple things. First of all, there was hopefully a pledge card. And what that is going to be used for is that is going to be used for uh, basically making the uh, um, budget for next year. And so that's an opportunity for you to say, you know what, God, I'm going to tie it to you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this much and I'm going to save this for next year. The only person that's going to see that, of course, is our treasurer. And, uh, and so just know that we're going to be uh, having an opportunity to bring that forward at the end of the service. And the second thing thing that you're going to have the opportunity to bring is what's called the call to discipleship. So it's that sheet. It's got a bunch of check boxes that you can have on it. Again, if you're watching this later, don't worry. You can turn, still turn these in after the fact. Uh, you don't have to be here today. But uh, and if you're here today, you say, I'm not ready to commit to something. I will need some more time to think about it. That's okay too. But you are going to have an opportunity in a service to turn in that call to discipleship as well. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that in a few moments. Before we get started here today, uh, I did want to take just a quick, brief moment for a pastor privilege uh, to share with you something. As many of you know, you've been seeing probably in the news uh, and um, even out on our info about uh, blood drives that are going on. Uh, you've heard that it's been critically low for blood in the United States of America. Um, and it's actually, uh, I was talking to some actual donor people that actually run the donations and stuff like that. They're, last year, you know, there was a shortage too. They're 40% behind what last year was to give you an idea where this is. So I, was, I wanted to make sure that I knew what that meant. What does it mean to have a critical blood shortage in, in the States? And what that means is this, is it means that those who need to have surgery ASAP are having to wait because they can't have the surgery. 
And I talked to some ER doctors and, and, and I was astounded to hear that on certain nights they have like two units of blood. And so they're literally having to make decisions as people come in, can they save them or not? And try to save them because they have to choose who gets it and who doesn't. And so on any night, if someone has a really bad accident, or in previous years we would have tried everything we could up to the point of, of their life, they're having to simply pronounce them as deceased in that moment instead of trying. So I say that to you because, you know, when you know those facts and you know what it means to have a shortage like this, this is what that means. And so there is, just so you know, a, uh, a chance to do stuff about this. There's always blood drives. There's one in Groveport tomorrow, uh, uh, Red Cross. But also our church has been approached uh, by numerous people, but just the latest one is one of OSU's uh, blood, you know, what's the word I'm trying to say, uh, storage people, you know, blood producers, if you will. I don't know the right word for that, but uh, blood donation programs. And we're going to be uh, actually scheduling one for January. And so um, if you happen to know someone who, even if you yourself are not someone that could give blood, you might just want to share with those around you that maybe have in the past or just would be willing to do or never thought about it. Because literally you could be saving a life. Um, and so I just want to pass that along to you as I've heard that from uh, the, the medical professions and found out what that means. So we're going to be doing our parts. Uh, I'm signed up for tomorrow. So if you go over to Kids Space Crooked Alley, you'll see me. And uh, I gave blood about a month ago, and I found out that I'm O positive. So they were like, ooh, we love your blood. Come give more blood. So I've been getting hounded. So uh, you can find me about every, whatever is it, like 35 days or 65, so I don't remember what it is. There's some number of days you have to wait till you get blood again, so you can count me probably being there all the time because they were like, ooh, we like you. So, uh, but just, to, just wanted to give you that information so you knew what that means when you read about it in the newspapers and you hear about it. But under the sermon here today, today's t- title is called The Almost Yes. And of course, our scripture reading came from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, where Jesus sends out the 72. And Stewardship Sunday is really a chance for the church and people, you know, for all of us to sit back, take a look in the mirror, and ask ourselves a couple questions. And here's the, the two questions I would think, I would want you to think and ask of yourself right now. So just kind of imagine no one's here. You're home, you're looking in the mirror, you're there, it's just you, you before God. And I want you to just think about what is your answer to these questions in a bit of reflection. The first one is this. Are you acting like a disciple of Jesus? Are you acting like a disciple of Jesus? Now probably many things are going through your head right now. There are probably good things you're doing. There's probably bad things you're doing. But nonetheless, it's the Holy Spirit's job to come here today to remind us of those things that maybe we're falling very, very short, maybe those things that we really need to surrender to God that we haven't. We've been holding on with a tight fist, and God's saying it's time to let it go. Or maybe we've been doing good things, but we've just been either sidetracked or maybe gotten lazy or just maybe haven't made a priority. And those good things, those good habits, if you will, those good things we've been doing are starting to slip. And maybe today is that wake-up call to say, no, I'm not going to let it slip. I'm going to be intentional about making that a priority in my life. And the second question I would really ask you is this one, is are you a more faithful disciple this year than last year? And what I mean by that is this, is that it's not enough just to, to you know, follow, say, you know, accept Jesus Christ in your life and just go, life is done, life is good, all that stuff. But God is constantly working in our life to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. He's, he's sanctifying our life, changing our life, wanting to work in our life and totally change all those parts of our life that aren't of him. And while it could be said this, that you know, God doesn't make us perfect like a snap in the sense of all of a sudden we just are perfect a little angels, 
But God does constantly work in our life, changing us, molding us. And if you think about your life last year, and you think one of two things, if you think, hey, I was a better person last year and I let it slip this year, it's a chance to wake up call here today and hear the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? I really haven't taken any steps. I really haven't surrendered anything else in my life. I really haven't chosen to love someone more than I was last year. Today's a great day to let God work in your life again. Now, I can say the Holy Spirit's job, of course, is to do that work in us and convict us, so I'm not going to spend too much time convicting you of that, but you have my permission as your pastor to zone out if the Holy Spirit's working on you right now and just reflect, and you don't even have to listen to what I say from this point on. If if the Holy Spirit's prodding you, you just let the Holy Spirit prod you. You just kind of reflect with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work among you. For the rest of us, we're going to go on with the sermon, right? For the rest of the sermon. And here's the almost yes. My uh, daughter is is getting really smart. Too smart for her own little britches. And uh, I've noticed that so many times I'll ask her to do something and she has all, she has like a whole toolbox now of way of getting around not doing what I'm asking her. And the one that she's really into doing right now is not only just ignoring, you know, if you're saying something, there's just the flat out ignore, but there's the change of direction. Like, ooh, look over here, right? And, and you'll be like, hey, hey, Kinsley, can you do this? And she'll be like, hey, you know, the other day, Daddy, do you remember when we did this? That was really cool, wasn't it? I'll say, yes, Kinsley, that was really cool. Can you do this? Hey, do you, is my blanket upstairs? Can I go? Is my, do you know where it is? I haven't seen it. I need my blanket. Right? She'll just do all these things, right? Because there's a constant way of not addressing the real problem or the real thing that's going on in the room. And the reason why I call this sermon the almost yes is because there are so many ways that Jesus asks us to say yes, and we try to get away with it, don't we? We have a whole bunch of excuses. We have a whole bunch of more important things. We have a whole bunch of I'm not ready. We have a whole bunch of other things. But ultimately, it's just a way of pushing off the yes. It's sort of like saying, hey, God, look over here. Don't pay attention, God. Over here. Look over here. Look over here. When I read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, it's so telling. I, the, the thing I, I love about this verse is it really tells us a little bit about discipleship. And of course, this is before Jesus is resurrected from the dead. This is before the cross, the cruci- you know, and the, the burial. This is before the Last Supper, all these different things. Jesus has just been teaching. And he says, you know what? I'll make a strategy. I'm going to send out some people that have been around me, you know, 72 of them. I'm going to send them out two by two, and I'm sending them ahead of me to go out to preach in the towns and tell people about what's going to happen when I come. Because his whole plan was to then come to those places, and the people would be kind of prepared, if you will, for the, him to come into town. But when, when he sends them out, the first thing he tells them is so intriguing to me. Because if, you know, if I put myself in Jesus' shoes, I would think about all the things I'd want to say. And this wouldn't have been what? I would not have come up with this. You know, I would have tried to encourage them. I would have tried to strengthen them. doing a bunch of things. But he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he says, go. <laughs> right. You hear that again? The, I mean, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers 
into his harvest field. Now, I don't know if you're into logic, but the logic of this is astounding to me because the logic is the harvest is plentiful, right? And then the other part of this logic is God is all-powerful. God, go fix it, <laughs> right? That's the logic that I would have as, as you do. I think about God. But God says, no, no, no. I'm sending you, right? I'm sending you. And in fact, it's been one of these things that's been said so many times by pastors. I, at this point, I don't even know who to give credit to. But if you think about God's plan for reaching the world, God's plan is this. It's simply God's plan is men. In today's language, men and women, right? But, you know, this is old language that was, this came from. So, but God's plan is sending human beings to the harvest. Which means if he wants to send human beings to the harvest, he's got to make disciples, if you will, and those disciples have to be, you know, in, have to endure enough. They have to persevere enough. They have to be like Jesus enough. They have to be, you know, all the ways that character of Jesus gets instilled inside us over time and time again has to take place for these men and women to go out to be in the harvest and to actually succeed. There's that famous story of all the angels in heaven and God's creating the world and he's talking about all the things that will come and all the angels are like, oh, that's so cool, that's so cool. And then they're like, well, this is all going to go wrong, right? And God's like, yeah. And he says, well, what's your plan to, to fix it? And they go, oh, you know, Jesus Christ is going to do this. And the angels go, oh, okay, well, that's good. Well, what happens when Jesus Christ comes back? And, he, and God says, well, I'm going to send the disciples out, and they're going to continue on and build the kingdom. And the, and the angels look at him, and they go, what's your plan B? Because we don't really see that working out so well, right? And God, of course, looks at them and says, hey, angels, there is no plan B, right? And if you look at Scripture, there's no plan B. God sends men and women to represent him in the world, and God doesn't have a plan B, which is astounding because he puts that much trust and that much authority to you and I to go out, to not only be his disciples, but to make disciples. And what I love about this story is if you go on and read on, as we read earlier, Jesus expects them to represent him, but he expects both success and failure and he still sends them out, right? And he tells them that ahead of time. You're going to come to places. They're not going to welcome you. And he tells them what to do with their shoes and dust of the feet and all that stuff. But he tells them ahead of time, like, you're going to have success. And you're also not going to have success. But Jesus seems more concerned about the faithfulness of the disciples than he does their success. You know, if you're thinking here today, one of the questions that I'd ask you if you aren't stuck on those first two and zoned out at this point. But if you're here today, is my question for you is, are you helping with the harvest. Because Jesus specifically says for us to pray for workers, as in you and me, to be into the harvest. And of course, there's that almost yes where we say, oh, Lord. And one of my favorite ways is when you, when, you, know, you ask somebody for something and they go, yeah, I should do that. That's it, right? You know, my kids, even my kids try to pull this on me a couple times, like, yeah. That sounds good, Daddy. We should do that. Okay, go clean up your Legos then, right? And just kind of, yeah, Daddy, and then they go off and do what they want, right? Or these other just tactics that we use all the time to not truly say yes, but the almost yes. And as you think about really what our faith is about, there's kind of three ways to understand it. There's the head, right? There's what you understand, your intellect, and what you actually assent to, right? And that's important because if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, that does, it makes it really hard to follow him, right? It's really important. But ultimately, you can believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, risen from the dead, that God is all-powerful. But the Bible points out that even the demons believe that. 
right? The intellect itself isn't enough. And then there's the heart, right? Not only the head, but the heart. And the heart is sort of that, that area of our life. There's different ways to describe it, but in the way I often think about it is, and, and this is different than how Scripture describes the heart, but if you think about it, like the, the, the passion and the compassion for other people or the compassion to want to see good happen in this world or even the d- able to distinguish what is good and what is bad, that idea of like you have not only intellect, but you have not only the, you know, the wherefores, but you have not knowledge, but wisdom, right? And you have the wisdom to understand, you have the wisdom to understand and want and desire good and to see good and call it good, all those type of things. But there's a third place, and that's the will. And the will is the place where true transformation happens, where God isn't satisfied with just us, our head. He's not satisfied with just our heart. He's satisfied when our will is changed. God wants to transform us and to change us. As we look at today's call to discipleship, it's a reminder that we are called to be disciples, to what's it going to reflect on ourselves. How are we doing that? How are we not? Hopefully last year when you were, uh, maybe even last year or the year before, when we sent out the call to discipleship form, uh, if you have that, you know, get it out, look at it real quick. There's different ways as disciples we can grow. And on that discipleship form, there's, well, first of all, there's spending time with God, such as Bible study and prayer groups, or coming to worship on Sunday morning, or fellowshipping with one another. There's all sorts of ways of doing that. There's all sorts of ways of serving, and on that sheet, there's a bunch of different ministries of the church that, you know, our church can't be all that we're called to be unless everybody's plugged in somewhere doing something for the kingdom of God that meets not only your passion, but your skill set. And of course, the wonderful world of money, right? We're truly, this is where we sometimes get to the will. I remember uh, hearing a pastor talk, and he was talking about how, he's an older pastor that was retired, he said, you know what? It's funny looking back on it, but there are so many times that for men, he was talking about specifically men that he had mentored and pastored and all these different things. He said, you know what? I knew when discipleship got real because they were able to let go of their money. And he said, that's when it changed, right? Like up until that point, they came to Bible studies, they did all sorts of stuff, but it was when they finally said, you know what? I'm going to start setting aside what God's given me to give back to him. And some of them gave to churches, some of them gave, were just generous and gave it to other organizations and all that stuff, but they gave and they said, you know what? It was then that they looked back on it and they told that pastor, that's when it changed for me. Because the simple truth is our society and our world loves money. It loves it more than anything else in some ways. It desires it, it craves it, it yearns for it. And God's told us, you can't take it with you. <laughs> Don't love it. Don't crave it. Use it, right? It's not in itself horrible of itself, but that desire, the moment it starts to own you and make your decisions for you, it's become evil and poison in your life. And the number one solution to that is saying, God, I'm not going to keep my money, but I'm going to take some of it and bless others with it. We call it a tithe as far as when it comes to the church, and specifically that's, you know, giving 10% like it is in the biblical foundation, but it's a way of saying, you know what, God, I'm going to be your disciple. And that sheet really kind of encourages you, if you haven't taken every step, it's kind of, each little section kind of has little different little steps you can take, right, of different things you can get uh, to be part in. And if you check any of those boxes that are ministries of the church, we're going to be contacting you in the near future. And so do know that, that uh, you know, by next year, early next year, we'll be contacting you to say, hey, we have these great ministries. You marked your interest. We want to plug you in and get you serving within the life of the church. 
The one thing I would say to that is on that sheet, there is a couple sections that are some of the more key uh, parts of the church that every church needs, such as the finance committee, the trustees, and uh, the SPRC, the staff parish relations. And those are, I would say, if you're a beginning walk in your Christian you know, life, or maybe you look at your life and you say, I have a long way to go to be a disciple, like God's just convicted me this morning. Those are things that you should probably hold off and pray about and not mark, because those, need, those positions in the church need to be mature disciples. They demand it. Otherwise, it just trips up the church. And so if, if you yourself, you know, you're sitting here and go, you know, I'm just, I, I'm working on some things. And God, I'm saying yes, and I'm going where I can, you know, be, feel free to mark any box on that sheet. But I would, I would caution you, don't mark those boxes because you need to be a faithful disciple. Otherwise, it can really harm the church to be on those committees. As we uh, close our worship today, we're going to be having a time of offering and so you have uh, your pledge cards that you have in, in your pews, or maybe you have brought the ones you had from home. We have uh, this uh, offering plate up here. During our last song, you're welcome to come forward to place that pledge card in this offering plate. We also have, uh, we were laughing this morning, but this looks like the basket Moses got in and into the, into the Nile River there one day. But it's a nice big basket, but it's got your call to discipleship forms. That if you filled them out, you want to turn that in here today. Again, you don't have to do this today, but it's just an opportunity to come, to surrender to the Lord, to offer it before the altar. Again, if you need more time, or again, if you're watching this later and you want to fill those out, you're welcome to turn in the church office uh, and uh, make sure your pledge cards are either in an envelope or folded up or something so that we can make sure Vicki uh, gets those uh, without anybody seeing those uh, here today. But let's now stand. We'll be led in music, but you're welcome to come forward to present your offering. Thanks to the Lord. Thank you.